0: Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Let me remind you about the Bible Crossfire website again, biblecrossfire.com. That's pretty simple to remember. There you can go and ask me a question, in effect you'd be asking me over email, or you can look at some of the old programs. When I say look at, I mean listening to listen to the archives of old programs going all the way back to 2000, the summer of 2015, you could sign up and take a correspondence course, a Bible correspondence course online. You could request a Bible study as, as if you've heard my program before, you've almost certainly heard me ask if you would like to do a free one hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience. If you would like that, wait to the end of the program and I'll give my number so that you can call or text me and ask me for that free one hour phone Bible study. Or you can go anytime to BibleCrossfire.com. And request that Bible study again. Ask me a Bible question there at biblecrossfire com. Listen to an old any of the old programs. Sign up for a online Bible correspondence course. Request a uh, a Bible study over the phone. Uh, ever how you want to do it, we'll do it. Just uh, we're want we're here to try to help people learn the Bible, and as we try to teach the Bible, I learn the Bible. As we we always comment, you learn a whole lot more teaching, having to prepare to teach the Bible than to just listen to somebody else teach it normally. So the the point is for both of us to learn the Bible together. The announcer mentioned, if you have a Bible question or comment, you can get on the air right now. The lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, you'd like to get onto the air on the air. I want to start, while we're waiting on our first call, by reading Acts 11, 21-24, and noticing a phrase right at the end of that text. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who... When he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was, here's the phrase I want to talk about, added unto the Lord. Much people was added to the Lord, according to the end of of, uh, Acts 11.24. What does added unto the Lord mean? Well, obviously, it is talking about sinners becoming saved. When they turned to the Lord, verse 21, they were added to the Lord. They were saved when they turned to the Lord. They were added to the Lord. They were saved. They became a part of the Lord's body. The same phrase is found in Acts 5, verse 14. It says that believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. So, a sinner has to believe to be added to the Lord, according to to Acts 5.14. Acts 2.47 talks about the same thing. It says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Added to the Lord, added to the church, same thing. As you know, the church is not the building per se, but the saved people that might meet in a building. One is added to the Lord, or the church, when he was baptized. We see this from Acts 2.41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We're talking about what does added unto the Lord mean? It means, we see that in Acts 11.24, Acts 5.14. Well, it's the same as being added to the church, Acts 2.47. Verse 41 says, They were added when they were baptized. Added to the Lord, added to the church. Again, that's the same thing. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, meaning it's an analogy. Our head tells the rest of our body what to do. Jesus is the head of the church, meaning he tells the rest of the church what to do. We're the body. He's the head. He's the boss. We're added to the church. We're added to the Lord. Same thing. Acts 2.41 shows that people are added unto the Lord when they were baptized, but it wasn't baptism by itself. You'll notice three verses previous, believers were told, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So they weren't added to the Lord by baptism all by itself. It was believers who repented and were baptized for the remission of sins that were added. In that case, 3,000 souls were baptized. 3,000 souls were added to the Lord. According to verse 47 of the same chapter, They were added to the church. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. This is what is meant when Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. If the church is made up of people, as we've seen, then the way Jesus would build his church is by adding people to it. You see, if you're building a building, you build that building by adding bricks, you might say. But the church is the people. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, that means he's going to build the church. He's going to add people to the church. When that would, Acts 2.47 says, the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Verse 41 says they were, those that were baptized were added, about 3,000 souls. So you're added to the church Believers are added to the church when they repent and are baptized. They get the remission of sins. The Lord adds them to the church. That's how he builds his church, by adding people to it. The more people that are added to the church, the bigger the church becomes because the church is made up of people. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, I think also helps us in this regard. It says, For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Did you get that? People are baptized into Christ, and when they are, they put on Christ. So people become children of God by faith, according to this passage, when they're baptized into Christ. That is when they're added to the Lord. Added to the Lord, baptized into Christ, that would be the same thing. Romans 6.23 says, a very, makes a very similar statement. It says, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Baptized into Jesus Christ, that means you're added to Christ. You're added to the Lord because you're baptized into Christ. You're not in Christ until you're baptized, and when you get baptized, you're put into Christ. That would make Christ added to the Lord bigger, the church that belongs to Christ, becomes bigger every time somebody is baptized into it. Baptized into Christ, added to Christ, same thing. That's what added to the Lord means. Added to the Lord is when people are added to the Lord's body, the church. When does that occur? Believers were told to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. When they did, in Acts 2, 3,000 of them were added to the Lord. They were added to the church, verse 47. So the way a person is added to the Lord is by a believer is added to the Lord by repenting and being baptized for the remission of sins. And that's really pretty simple if you think about it. There's really that much that's not very complicated at all. You know, so we're talking about Acts two thirty eight. Peter said unto them, to believers, by the way, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. When they did this, they were added. Verse 41. Added to the church, verse 47. But you remember in verse 21 of the same chapter, the, the, the repent and be baptized for the remission of sins comes toward the end of the sermon. Verse 21 is more toward the beginning of the sermon. There, Peter said, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I think this is interesting because it's saying you have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And then, 17 verses later, Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, to be saved from your sins. Now, Peter, in the same sermon, is not telling people two different ways to be saved. He's not saying one way to be saved is by calling upon the name of the Lord. And another way to be saved from your sins is by repenting and being baptized. He's not. Repenting and being baptized is what I might say is the detailed version of verse 21. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, Acts 2.21. Why do you do that? Well, Peter finally tells them in detail. You do that, believers are told to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, to be saved from their sins. So the way one calls upon the name of the Lord is by repenting and being baptized for the remission of sins. You know, you know we see this same concept found in Acts 22.16. And by the way, if you want to get on the air, the lines are wide open. Call us, 877-655-6755. If you want to ask a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. The the conversion of Saul is recorded for us three times in the book of Acts. must be a, a pretty important conversion because it's the only conversion that's mentioned more than once. Cornelius's conversion, you might could say, is mentioned twice because you read about it in Acts 10 and 11, but really it's just one occurrence stretching through two chapters. But the conversion of Saul is in there three different times. We remember in Acts 9, here we have Paul, he's a persecutor of Christians, a, a very zealous Jew. The Lord appears to him on the road to Damascus. Acts 9, 3-6, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, Saul knows this, the Lord, it's the voice from heaven. Who art thou, Lord? Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Well, Lord, what will you have me to do? Saul says, well, he must believe in Jesus. He wants to know what to do. Jesus says, well, go into the city and be told you what to do. In the meantime, An- Jesus sends Ananias to tell him what to do. So Saul has already believed in Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's, he's encountered Jesus. He believes Jesus is the Lord. He, he believes it enough to say, what do you want me to do? You go into the city, it'll be told you what to do. Well, what does Ananias Tell Saul to do. Acts twenty two, sixteen. And now why tarriest thou? In Alabama we'd say, what you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There's that phrase again that we saw in Acts two twenty one, calling on the name of the Lord. What did we see in Acts two twenty one? That calling on the name of the Lord meant doing what God said to do to be saved. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Same thing here. Saul had already believed in Christ on the road to Damascus. Many will say, well, he was saved on the road to Damascus because he believed. No. Here, Ananias, three days at least three days later, tells him to be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord by doing what God said to do in order to get his sins washed away. It didn't occur when he was baptized. I mean, excuse me, when he believed, his sins were not washed away until he was baptized, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Now, we're all agreed. That it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. The question is when? Does it happen when one believes? Well, that's what most preachers will tell you. All you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you'll be saved. All you got to do is believe. Well, that's not the way it happened with Saul. Saul believed on the road to Damascus, but the blood of Christ didn't wash his way of sins until three days later when he was baptized. And that was calling upon the name of the Lord. When God says, I'll give you, B, salvation, if you'll do, A, the way you call upon God for salvation, B, the way you ask God for salvation, B, is by doing A. You call upon God to save you by doing what he said to do to be saved. We see that both in Acts 2 and in Acts 22. One from Washington. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
1: Yes, sir. I have that question. I, I guess I'm referring to the Old Testament and how it was that uh, when there was really no no message of salvation like we're listening to right now in the New Testament where Christians are, or people are, you know, like what you're talking about in the book of Acts, you know, to believe in the call on the Lord. The people that died uh, in the Old Testament when Christ was crucified, and it says that he went down into the center of the earth for three days, and he took, I guess, took the keys away and, and death from, from Satan. What happened to those people? Were those still people being condemned at the time even though they were saved? or Can you help me on that a little bit?
0: Well, people were saved from their sins in the Old Testament. For example, I'm looking okay. at Romans 3.25. It says, it's talking about Jesus redeeming us with his blood. In verse 25 of Romans 3, it says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So people in the past did receive remission of sins. It was just based upon the future death of Christ instead of the past death of Christ. Like David. Let's think about David for a minute. One, you probably remember the story of David. He's the king. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. Has her husband Mm -hmm. killed to try to cover it up, right? Yep, yep. In 2 Samuel 12, do you remember God's prophet Nathan confronted him, right? Yes, yes. David repented. And Nathan said, God has put away your sin. He was forgiven. How was he forgiven? Based upon the death of Christ that was coming. So what Romans 3.25 is saying is that all those times that God forgave people of their sins in the Old Testament, when Jesus finally came and died to pay for their sins, that declared God righteous for all the times he had forgiven them. Let me illustrate one. Before credit cards were so prevalent, A person used to maybe have a charge account at a store. So my wife could go to the grocery store, buy groceries every week, and not pay. She would bring the groceries home, cook them. We would enjoy the groceries. Then the grocery store owner would send me a bill at the end of the month. If I didn't pay the bill, he's not going to consider me very honest for eating all those groceries without paying my bill, right? Right. But when I pay the bill in the eyes of the grocery store owner, I become an honest man. I'm paying my bill for all the groceries my wife came and picked up throughout the whole month. The same thing, God is forgiving people in the Old Testament, lots of people. There's all kinds of examples of people being forgiven in the Old Testament. I mean, just read Leviticus 4, chapters 4 and 5, and you'll see it in there probably 15 or 20 times, people being forgiven. He did it based upon the death of Christ that was coming in the future. So when Christ finally came and paid the bill... This verse says it declared God to be righteous. He okay. became he was able to justify the believer and be just at the same time. Does that answer your question at least halfway one?
1: <laughs> yes, it does. It does. It, it it makes sense. You know, I always thought about the people from the Old Testament and now the people that were condemned, let's say that there's people being condemned in the old testament. Those were the people that were not offering sin offerings? Would that be uh, yeah,
0: the okay, people that weren't know. living, the people that weren't living faithful to God. Okay. In Hebrews ten four, it says it's not possible that the blood of the bulls and of goats should take away sin. Well, the point was right. not that they weren't forgiven. The point was they were forgiven the whole time based upon the death of Christ, not right, the, not the sacrifice of the bulls and the goats.
1: Yeah, on the sacrifice that was to come. Yeah. Which is Christ we'll see this. on the cross. And he
0: Hebrews 9, verse 15, once says, For this cause he, talking about Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption okay. of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Okay. For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. So they were okay. forgiven.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that sounds good. I appreciate it.
0: So well, okay, I appreciate your call. Just keep in mind that it's the nobody was forgiven Old Testament or New Testament without the death of Christ. You know, Hebrews nine twenty two yeah. says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, but it wasn't yeah. the blood of bulls and goats. In Matthew twenty six yeah. twenty eight, Jesus says, I think the night before he died, he says, This I'm mm-hmm. will shed my blood for the remission of sin. So it was the blood of Christ
1: mm-hmm. that did it. Yeah, Last Supper.
0: Yeah. We can't be yeah. saved without the death of Christ, but G- Jesus died for everybody. The salvation one that that Jesus provides is conditional, though. I think you know that, mm-hmm. don't
1: you? Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, isn't it in John three sixteen For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you have to believe... Or if you don't, you're not taking advantage of the death of Christ, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do believe.
0: Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So it takes both belief and obedience. Jesus dies for everybody, but only those who meet the conditions will be saved. Now, it's not the belief or the baptism that that really does the trick. It's the death of Christ that does the trick. Remember when Ananias told Saul to rise and be baptized and wash away the sins? It wasn't the baptism that washed away sins. It was the blood of Christ that washed away sins when he was baptized. You see the distinction right. I'm making? Mm-hmm. Juan, anything any other follow up?
1: Uh I'm good. I enjoy listening to you. I just was heading over to my brothers and uh it seems like all the time I always catch it at the very end, but I enjoyed the uh uh you guys bring in the gospel and, and everything and uh I, I just uh we had a tremendous day at church today here in Pasco. A young girl gave her life to the Lord and it was just a tremendous day and it's been such a blessing today and just to follow it up with you guys. It's uh, I just uh I thank the Lord for everything.
0: Well, Pasco, do you know my friend uh Lee Rawlings then? Lee
1: Rollins, I do not know.
0: Okay. Okay, well, then I'll let you go. There's somebody else waiting on the line, okay?
1: All right. God bless you. Thank, guys. You, Juan. Thank you.
0: All right. Dwayne from Illinois, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
1: Yes, my question is about the rapture in Revelation, and I'm a little confused about the timing and who's going to be there and what exactly happened.
0: Okay. There's only one place that has that really has that word rapture in in the new testament in the bible and it's not even in our english it's in the it's in the latin and it's first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17 and it's in the middle of talking about the second coming of christ so i'm gonna to try to read to you first thessalonians 5 16 and 17 okay Dwayne. <laughs> OK, he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, obviously, this is talking about the second coming of Christ, right? It says, then yeah. we which are yeah. alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up. That's the word rapture in the Latin. Rapture in Latin means caught up. And in the Latin version of the Bible, you would have rapture right here they shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the rapture, that's referring to an event simultaneous with the second coming Christ. Jesus comes and the Christians will be caught up. They'll be raptured. The dead in Christ shall rise first so that the dead in Christ, the Christians who are dead, they're resurrected, and the alive Christians then can be caught up or raptured to meet the Lord in the air. Okay. Now, okay. there's something confusing that a lot of people teach about the rapture. They, they Like, for example, you have something called the Left Behind series. And they teach there's going to be a rapture. Well, there is going to be a rapture. But they see the, say the wicked will be left behind. And then the world, of course, will be really, really wicked because all the Christians will be gone. But that's not what the Bible teaches. When the Christians are raptured up to meet the Lord in the air, that's at the second coming of Christ which happens simultaneous with the end of the world. I'm looking at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Now, this whole context in Second Peter 3, Dwayne, if you read verse 3 and 4, is talking about the second coming of Christ. People are mocking and saying, basically, where's the promise of His coming? He says in verse 10, "...but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up." So don't think, okay, Christians are going to be raptured and then the wicked will be left on the earth for some long period of time. That's not the way it works. When Jesus comes, the second coming of Christ, the Christians will be caught up, raptured up, but that's the end of the world. The, the dead then, the wicked will go to the bad place. They'll be, re- the, the Matthew, John 5 says, their resurrection unto condemnation for the wicked. The righteous will be resurrected to be caught up with Jesus to meet the Lord in the air. I take it they go to heaven. And then the earth's going to be burned up, Second Peter 3.10. So there's not going to be anybody left behind. You follow me, Dwayne?
1: Yes. So it's a simultaneous event with the second coming.
0: Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, the resurrection, the second coming, the rapture, the judgment day, all of these things happen at the same time. The end of this Christian dispensation. Dwayne, okay. I appreciate your call. Any follow-up?
1: Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you have a good evening. Keep listening to the program. I All appreciate right. that good question, okay?
1: Thank you. Okay.
0: One other place that the Bible mentions calling upon the name of the Lord is Romans ten thirteen. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And what we've seen from Acts 2 and Acts 22, that it's not asking verbally, God save me. It is asking. When God says, I'll give you salvation if you do this, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, the way you call upon God, the way you ask God for salvation is by believing and being baptized. God says, I'll give you salvation if you do this, you do that to ask him for salvation. If you would like that free one-hour phone Bible study that I mentioned, call or text me at 256-682-9753. At your convenience, I would like to do a free one-hour phone Bible study with you. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. And be sure and listen every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire and get your friends to listen also. You can call and ask any Bible questions.